0: Thank you for joining us for the study of God's Word today. Grab a Bible and listen carefully as God will be speaking to us through His Word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Please take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Proverbs you're not familiar with its whereabouts and you have an actual book in your hand, just turn about halfway. If you're in the Psalms, turn right. It'll be a little further the next book over. And we're looking as our primary verse today, the 14th verse of Proverbs chapter 14. This is the way it reads in the English Standard Version. The backslider in heart Will be filled with the fruit of his ways. The New American Standard Bible says, "The backslider in heart will have his fill of his ways." In the last part, in the ESV, says of fourteen fourteen of Proverbs, "A good man will be filled with the fruit of his ways." We have since Pentecost been looking at the person and work of. The Holy Spirit of God. We know He's a person. He's not some impersonal force. We know He is God. That's based on what Jesus Himself says about Holy Spirit. We also know that He comes to indwell us. The moment that you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, Holy Spirit comes to indwell you instantaneously. You become the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are no longer your own. You belong to God as a result. And the Holy Spirit's presence is evidence that we are people who belong to God. And so as we consider this matter of Holy Spirit, His person, His work, we discover that He is the one who enables us to grow. We had one verse last week which was the primary text for the message. Found in 2 Peter 3, verse 18, the final verse of that wonderful epistle begins this way. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What we learned was the verb in Interpreted simply by the word grow actually means keep on growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We will never outgrow the need to grow in our walk with the Lord. And that is very encouraging to me because I keep falling short along the way. And perhaps you do too. I'm one who is acquainted with backsliding. You might say, what does that mean? It means exactly what it says sliding back. And a person, in order to backslide, had to at some point in his or her life be making progress. Namely, a person in whom the Spirit of God lives and gave us the push and the leadership to grow, sometimes we stop growing. Anybody have had here, have, have you had that kind of experience from time to time? Well, you're part of a large group of people. And Today what we want to do is we want to learn how to reverse backsliding if we're in a state of backsliding. Not following the Lord or His Spirit, but following our own selfish desires. We want to learn that. Or how to prevent it if we are currently walking after the Lord. So this is great passage of Scripture and associated passages. We will never lack for the stimulus. If we know Jesus because of the presence of Holy Spirit in our lives, we will never lack for a stimulus because, listen to His words. They're found in the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament. God speaks, he says, I will put my spirit in you and I will cause you to follow my statutes and to obey my rules. In other words, Holy Spirit's presence in you and me, which became our possession as we became his possession when we gave our lives to Jesus. Holy Spirit's presence ensures that we're not going to be backslidden forever if we know Him. He's going to liberate us. And maybe today will be that liberation in your deliberation of what the Scripture says about walking with the Lord. He will stimulate you. He will also empower you. I love this particular aspect of the Holy Spirit's work. The Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write these words in the book of Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Perhaps you remember what Isaiah wrote in the 40th chapter. He was writing to some people who were weary And he says to them, when you get weary, mount up with wings like the eagles, and run and not grow weary, and walk and not faint. And you know how that's accomplished, Isaiah would say? It's accomplished by our being in that dependent relationship upon God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he will help you to go forward instead of to languish in the backwaters of your own selfishness and the difficulties that come in addition to that when you follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We have some adversaries, don't we? The most notable of which is Satan. The Bible calls him our adversary in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5, 8. He's like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And then there's the world. The world is made up of three particular segments. It's the love of the flesh and the love of what our eyes see and a desire that we have innately that we might be our own bosses and be proud, pride the lust of the eyes, which means desiring things that don't belong to us or we're not... People who need those things to find our fulfillment. And the lust of the flesh has to do with sexual sin like we read just earlier. But also it's much more than that. Hopefully you got that when you read with Jesus as he gave us that reading today. So we are people who have certainly the power to overcome when we're stagnant in our walk. I would imagine there's more than one person here. And you just want to heave a big sigh right now. You're thinking, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can keep up walking in the Spirit. I have so many things tugging at me for my attention. So many temptations come my way. Well, understand that those things tugging at you... And those things that are stymieing your growth in the Lord are not only limited to the devil and the world, which he is the ruler of, but also of your flesh. And what I believe the scripture teaches us is that our biggest foe is not the devil. Our biggest foe is not his domain, the domain of darkness, otherwise known as the world, and talked about in the book of 1 John chapter 2 but it's our own flesh, which raises a very important question. What does that mean? Well, the word flesh is a word which means this. My personality, Mike Woods, apart from the renewing and controlling influence of the Holy Spirit of God. It's my own tendency to do what I want to do as opposed to what God wants me to do. Maybe a better way of saying it, it's my tendency, my insistence sometimes. It screams at me, my flesh, and says, don't be who Christ has made you to be. Be yourself instead of being a man who is dependent solely upon the Holy Spirit of God. We read that opening verse In the book of Galatians, in our passage, Galatians 5, 16. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not satisfy or gratify the desires of what? The flesh. My selfishness. All those expressions in chapter 5 of the flesh are expressions of my own selfishness. It's about me. I'm the center of all those kinds of attitudes and actions. And that would be true for you as well. We're not lacking the stimulus. It's not a thing. It's the person of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who nudges us forward. And in due time, if we don't respond, He'll yell at us in some way. He'll make it known to us. And we can't cut off His voice. We've tried and it won't work. And we will finally yield to Him. And then we are people who have the power to overcome our lethargy and our discouragement, disappointment. And He is such a good Holy Spirit, isn't He? He gives us the stick-to-itiveness that's necessary to continue to walk after Him. That having been said, let's talk a moment about what the Bible means when it uses the term heart. As Westerners, what we think of, probably you do, I know I do, when I first think of matters of the heart, I think about emotions. Are you glad that you have a wide range of emotions? I like Happy emotions. I don't particularly care for down kind of depressing emotions. And the range of emotions run a large gamut, don't they? And we know all of those things. And that is one aspect of the heart, according to the Bible. But it's far from the only one. The other two are the mind and the will. Allow me to make reference to this. In the book of Mark, chapter 2, verse 6, you remember the story. Jesus is teaching in his home base of Capernaum. And all of a sudden, there's a commotion overhead. And the sod starts falling through the roof. And all of a sudden, there's the movement of those beams that keep the sod Intact on the roof and there's a man being let down from the roof by his four friends who had brought him to Jesus. This man is a paraplegic probably. He is paralyzed and he couldn't even get himself to the place where Jesus was teaching and healing and his buds brought him there and lo and behold, what did Jesus see? He saw a man who had an appointment with him. And what did he say to the man? He said, my son, your sins are forgiven. And this riled a certain group of the audience who had gathered around this home, as it were, of Jesus. And they were the religious leaders we know as the Pharisees. And they didn't like Jesus telling this young man that his sins were forgiven because that's blasphemy. Only God can give Forgive sin. Precisely. If they had been in tune with the Spirit, they would have known that Jesus is God become man. And therefore, He has the power to forgive sin. But look at what the Scripture says in chapter 2, verse 6. Some scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. And Jesus called them out. He knew what was in their minds The mind that you have and I have is a gift from God so that we can relate to Him. One of the ways in which you are created in the image of God is that you are a rational being. You can think and you can reason. And the Lord says part of our heart has to do with reasoning, thinking. Listen again. What Mark writes there in Mark 2 6. Some scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. They were going to their heart to understand. Same with you, and same with me. Our minds. We fall short here as American citizens, probably, and as Christians, particularly. We are more emotionally driven. Instead of having a balance in the use of the heart, which God has created in us, to sure have emotions, but also exercise our minds. The third aspect: emotions, mind, and will. In Daniel one eight, the Scripture says Daniel made up his mind. Literally, the phrase entitled or dis- interpreted "made up his mind" means set upon his heart that he would not defile himself. He made a decision he would not do that, as did his friends. And the result was beautiful, wasn't it? God honored that. We are people who can prevent or reverse backsliding by guarding our hearts. Keep your place there in the 14th chapter, and then go to the 4th chapter, Proverbs. And this is the way it reads Keep your heart with all vigilance. The word keep is translated, and rightly so, guard by other translations, for from it flow the springs of life. We damn up life if we are not men and women who vigilantly guard our hearts. And our hearts would, of course, without being too redundant, our minds, our thoughts, and everything associated with that, our wills, our ability to choose rightly, and then our emotions. When you are thinking rightly, and that would be thinking God's way, and you are therefore making the right decisions based upon the will of God, the result is you are going to have a balanced emotional life. A lot of the irregular emotions are only the result of failure to use your mind and relationship to the Word of God and also your will in obedience. Now, I don't want to leave out emotions because Jesus speaks this way to his apostles. They had just heard the bad news, for their point of view at least, that Jesus was leaving them. They were distraught. And Jesus looks at them and He says, Stop letting your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in Me. And He brought a sort of calmness probably to the agitation that had accompanied His just having told them that He's leaving And He's going to fulfill what He'd been telling them for months. That He was going to go and die on the cross and suffer the rejection of God Himself while He was on the cross in order that He could make a way for them and for us for that matter to be free of our own bondage of our flesh and sin. So here's the question. This is what we're going to spend the remainder of our time talking about this morning. How do we guard our hearts? What is the approach that we are to take? Well, here's how. I'm taking a statement from David, the great warrior, poet, king. The man who is a man after God's heart. This is what he says in Psalm 16. Listen. I keep the Lord always before me. What does he mean by that? He means my focus is on the Lord. And when our focus is on the Lord, it is strengthened by the Scripture that God gives to us. We were so wonderfully led by our worship team to sing Psalm 1914. You may not have known that that was right out of the Bible. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart. How is that possible? The psalmist in Psalm 119 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. What is the... that God has given us to help us not to sin, to guard our hearts. Well, it's none other than the Word of God. I heard a story. Read it, actually. Must have been 30 or 40 years ago. Never left my memory the moment I read it. It was so poignant, but also so pointed when it came to what I was lacking in my life. It's the story told about a blind teenage girl who was living in France. She heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And upon hearing it, the Spirit of God touched her heart and she was moved to give her life to Christ. And immediately, she wanted to read the Bible. Already, she was fluent in Braille. And someone heard about her conversion and her desire to have a copy of the Scripture in Braille. Got that to her. And she could not do anything else in any spare time that she had but to read the Word of God. She was a woman whose mind was saturated with the Word of God. She hid God's Word in her heart. And the Word hid there in Psalm 119 11, which says, your word I've hidden my heart that I might not sin against you, really, is the idea of treasuring something. Treasuring, cherishing something. She cherished the Word of God. She read the Word of God with her fingers until she had such thick calluses. She could no longer feel the Bible when she would read the words of the Bible. Not to be outdone, she took the Braille and she began to read it with her lips. And she read it with her lips and read it with her lips. But she got the same problem with her lips eventually. But she'd hidden the Word of God in her heart. Is there anything quite like that in your life? we who battle the flesh, we who lament the fact that we are not walking with the Lord. God has given us the capacity to read. I have probably 40 Bibles in my possession. And I have no lack of access to the Word of God. We have the Word of God. And remember that the Holy Spirit, a part of His work, is He doesn't leave us to our own imagination or our own intellect to understand the Bible. He explains it to us if we come in humility and we ask Him to speak to us. Indeed, He does that to us. And He teaches us. So we are to be people who understand. We keep the Lord always before us by being a man or a woman who does put ourselves in a position to hear the Word of God. Another verse that stands out, and I know many of you already thought of this when it comes to God's Word. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible says, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. To meditate means to talk to yourself, really, about something. And it also was used, for instance, to describe the chewing of the cud by a cow as that cow ingested and digested the food and making it necessary and helpful for the health and growth of that animal. We are told... If we meditate on God's day, word day and night with the clear view of keeping it, what God says to us, the good news is that we will be people who are prosperous and successful. Now, I don't think I need to say this to this group because I've said it many times before regarding this verse. This does not promise material prosperity. It's something much more valuable than that, it's something money can't buy. It's the peace that God gives us that passes all understanding that's in our heart. And it doesn't mean that God will not bless you if you obey Him in material ways even. But that's not the motive for being a person who meditates on God's Word and speaks God's Word. The motive is to fix us up so that we can fulfill our intended purpose and that is to glorify God. Our thinking our speaking, all the things that we choose and even our emotions as we guard our heart by being men and women who keep the Lord always before us as we meditate on His Word day and night and are careful to keep it. Dallas Willard is a man whom I never met, but I have been blessed to be taught by him through some of his writings. And his statement about this is very significant in light of the fact that not only was he a giant in his walk with Christ, but before he was a giant, in his field of study, he was one who practiced what he preached when he would tell people this statement. He would say, I often tell people that Joshua 1.8 is worth more than any college education. And you say, well, that's a good sign he was not an educator. I'm sorry. He was the chairman of the Department of Philosophy at the University of Southern California. Not just any university, a world-class university. And a not Christian school. He was a definite disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, the memorizing of Joshua 1.8 and the application of Joshua 1.8 was more important than having a daily quiet time. And when I read that the first time, I said, wait a minute, Dr. Willard. I have to have my quiet time every day in order that I can be the kind of person that can meditate on Scripture. But then the more I pondered that, and the longer I lived after first reading that, something that began to creep into my quiet time began to say, Dallas Willard is right. Have you ever had the experience of reading your Bible? And you're faithful in reading your Bible. Only to read it one day and you think, what did I just read? It's not because it was beyond your understanding, because after all, who lives in you? Holy Spirit. What does Holy Spirit do? We've seen already, He teaches us from the Word of God. I just phased out. Do you ever do that when you read the Bible? You can even quote Scripture. Some of you know verses of Scripture. You don't have to think about it. It's already so... Engraved in your brain, there's a trench there of that truth and it's never going to leave you. But what we know is that when we meditate on God's word, we don't just do it to check a box. We're thinking about it. We're asking God to help us to apply it to our lives. One thing that has helped me in this area is to keep a pencil or a pen handy and a journal or something, a Uh, like a spiral notebook, and just write things down that God says to you in the Word and commit to think about those things in your life. Romans 13, 14 applies to this matter of guarding our hearts. And it goes like this. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's terminology that's used to describe someone getting dressed with some piece of clothing put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. We've already talked about that, but I want you to join me again in Galatians chapter 6. Look at Galatians chapter 6. Look at verses 7 and 8 of Galatians chapter 6. Do not be deceived. The literal translation of that simple phrase is stop being deceived. The devil is a deceiver, isn't he? And he is like a roaring lion roaming around seeking someone to devour. And the way he devours us, he tells us lies. He is the ruler of this world. And the world is filled with lies. I mean, it is wild to live in this day and time, isn't it? Unbelievable. The things that are being foisted upon us as people in this society from the world... The messages that we get over and over uh, about our sexuality and about our faith and our lack of freedom to speak what we believe and know to be true. It's amazing that that goes on. So the devil deceives us through the world. And the world is described as three things. The lust of the eyes, which means materialism, seeing something and saying, I've just got to have that. I've got to have that piece of property. I've got to have that car. I've got to have that piece of jewelry. I've got to have this, that, or the other. That's the world. Nothing wrong with having property or a vehicle or nice jewelry. It's something though that is not designed by God to grasp us and control us. The devil loves it. The lust of the flesh has to do with anything outside the boundaries which God has established for the use of your body and use of things you put into your body. And so we need to understand that God has put some great controls. He's given us the Spirit. That's what we've been talking about all day today, isn't it? We are led by the Spirit if we yield ourselves to the Spirit instead of being led by our evil, fleshly, selfish desires. And so we are people who are trusting the Lord as He guides us. Stop being deceived. What what is it that can set us free from deceit? Jesus says this. I kind of like what He says. He says... If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. You shall know the truth. And what will the truth do? Set you free. This book, your word is truth, is what Jesus says about the Bible. And he's given us the spirit of truth. Holy Spirit wrote it. Holy Spirit explains it. Holy Spirit motivates us. Holy Spirit empowers us. He gives us what we need in every facet of our heart, our mind, our will, and our emotions, so that we can guard our heart and prevent backsliding, or to make a correction that we're now finding ourselves in a place of difficulty because we have gone away from listening to the Lord in favor of, of listening to our own selfishness. So, make no provision for the flesh. The alternative is put on Christ. In other words, we have the mind of Christ, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2, which it found in the Word, be a man or woman of the Word. Put on the whole armor of God. And one of the aspects of it, we don't have time to go through the entire listing, but it's the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. God gives us His Word. God explains it to us. And empowers us. So here's number one way to prevent or to reverse backsliding. Guard your heart. Here's number two that I'm giving. Ask God to teach you His way. Going back to Proverbs 14. What does it say? Proverbs 14. It says in the New American Standard, the backslider in heart will have his fill of his own ways. Who else has a way besides us as human beings? God has a way. And the book of Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, most of you here could probably quote that verse or those two verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. The word acknowledge literally is the word know in the language of the Old Testament. Know His ways. And what will He do? He will make our paths straight. He will help us to follow the Spirit of God. God is the one who gives us the wisdom we need. And we need to learn to ask Him, teach us, Teach us Holy Spirit. And the Bible says, this is the Word of God through David. David's speaking to God. He he spoke the Spirit, by the way, and about the Holy Spirit. He says, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit do what? Lead me on level ground. Only a Middle Easterner in that region of the world could have understood the importance of level ground. No paved highways a lot of ups and downs, rough terrain. He was not talking about physical leadership, though he was talking about spiritual leadership and the crags and the holes were greater of David's own making. He said, teach me, Lord, to do your will and let your good spirit lead me on level crown. And he says in Psalm 86, beginning with verse 1, he said, 11, 86, 11 rather, he says, Lord, teach me Your way that I may walk in Your truth. Unite my heart to fear Your name. And God speaks through David again in another Psalm, 32.8. God speaks, I will teach you and guide you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do you get the sense that God wants a relationship with you that will glorify Him and one that will satisfy you like no other way to be in sync with Him. The book of Proverbs would be a good book for you to read devotionally. And as you read it, just jot down the ways that are referred to regarding family, regarding money, regarding work, regarding parenting. On and on and on. Make your own list and you'll learn what the ways of the Lord are. And you will be a person who is a person who is not in a state of backsliddenness. Here's the third thing that we can do to avoid or to get backsliding or to be reversed in the sense of coming back to a right relationship with the Lord. By knowing the Lord in all our ways. I just said that one. That was the third one. I didn't give it in a specific statement. The Bible says in the book of Haggai twice, the little book of prophecy at the end of the Old Testament, God says to the people through the prophet, consider your ways. That's a good way to begin out every day for us. Consider your ways, Mike. That's a good place. Pause. Consider your ways. Are there are there ways that are in sync with my way? Here's the fourth and final suggestion by finding a friend to walk through life with you who has the same heart goals. Once you've established that you have the right heart goal, and then you need companionship. We all know the verse which talks about this. In the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 4, two are better than one. And then as Solomon works his way through that passage in writing it under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says this. He says, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. What does that mean? Me, a friend who is closer than a brother in this life, and Jesus himself. Jesus is the one that unites us in such a way that we have this kind of friendship and we have someone who cares more about the Lord than about us, but cares deeply about us because he cares that much about the Lord and he loves us because we're brothers or sisters in Christ. In Second Timothy chapter 2, Paul writes these words, he says, if a man cleanses himself from these matters or these things, it would be things that would separate us from God things that are fleshly. He goes on to say that person will will be a person who is useful to the Master, namely to Jesus. Useful to the Master. Set apart for God's glory. I'm interpreting a little bit there. And then he says, what you need to do is you need to follow Christ along with a group of other people who have the same heart for God. People whose hearts are His. People who have a righteous heart because their minds are filled with the Word of God upon which they meditate frequently. So we need to find such a friend. Uzziah is one of the great kings of Judah, and his story is told in the 26th chapter of 2 Chronicles. He had the second longest reign of any king of Judah. His great-grandson was one who had a longer reign. It's interesting that he, this other, this other one, who had a hard, harder and longer reign, his name was Manasseh. And he was the most wicked of all the kings of Judah. One wonders why the Lord let him live so long and that's another story in and of itself but in 2nd Corinthians 26 i want to just read a couple of verses which describe Uzziah this great king in 2nd Chronicles 26 the bible says Uzziah in verse this is verse 5 of chapter 26 chapter 26 of 2nd Chronicles Uzziah set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Allow me to stop here just a moment and draw your attention to a couple of things in this statement about Uzziah. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah. And what did Zechariah do? He instructed him in the law of the Lord. It was the influence of Zechariah, probably the prophet Zechariah. It was his influence that stimulated this king Uzziah to set himself to seek God. And the outcome is clear here. As long as he sought the Lord, what did God do? He caused him to prosper. And his reign was a, a beautiful reign. But as we go down through the story, we come to rather abruptly a statement about how he handled his prosperity. Look at the last part of verse 15 if you are there. And Uzziah's fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped until he was strong. And it goes on to say in 16, but when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God. Here's what happens. We can walk with the Lord. Uzziah was not a backslider. We don't know how many years elapsed between the time he was being tutored, discipled, if you will, by Zechariah. But it could have been 20, 30, 40 years. Look, one of the hazards of your growing old, I can say this because I'm growing old right before your eyes here. One of the hazards of growing old is you can just put it in neutral. And you can coast. There's no thing in the Bible that says we're to coast. We're to keep on growing. I began this talk today by saying we will never outgrow our need to grow the moment I stop feeding myself the Word of God is the moment that I'm going to begin to slide. And if you have grown a lot in your life, okay, and the Lord has grown me a lot through trials and tribulations and the Word of God, all the things that He uses to help us to grow, look, you have moved further, closer to the Lord. And look, when you have and you begin to quit growing, what's going to happen? You're going to begin to slide, aren't you? You're going to begin to backslide. And it's going to be worse than it would have been had you not gotten that out of your system when you were younger. But we know that the Lord wants us to keep on following Him and growing Him. Uzziah's life ended poorly. He became a leper because he disobeyed the Lord. He was isolated from his palace. He was dishonored by God. He was embarrassed because he took this disease which prevented his going to the temple or participating in anything in the ritual life that was so valuable to him up until that point of the law of God in Israel. Because what? He got too big for his britches. He stopped walking in the Spirit. Instead, he walked according to the flesh. Come thou fount of every blessing. Many of you don't know that. We older people who grew up in the church would know it. It's a great song. It's found in our hymnal and practically any other Christian hymnal in the world. Its author is a man named Robert Robinson. He was born into a middle-class family in England in his time, but his father died while he was still young. And when a father died in that day and time, unless you were from a royal family or a very wealthy family, your mother became indigent and you did too until she was able to remarry or whatever. She couldn't control him. He was out of control. No father in the house to discipline him. She got to the end of her rope and she made a bargain with some barber in London to take him on as an apprentice. She said goodbye and probably under her breath good riddance because he had wreaked havoc in her life and the life of the other children in the family. When he got there, he didn't take too kindly to barbering, but he really took a shine to being a gang member. They did have gangs, by the way in that period of history. It was the 18th century. We've seen the movie, some of you, Gangs of New York. Well, there were gangs in London way before there were gangs in New York. But he became a guy who loved alcohol and partying for three years. He lived a life that he had only dreamed of, doing whatever he wanted with no restraints on his life whatsoever. And he saw a sign, and he had heard about this man, George Whitfield. Whitfield was a great preacher of his day. God saved many people through the preaching of this man, George Whitfield. And he said to his buddies, Hey guys, let's get together and let's go and let us heckle this preacher and disrupt his preaching the gospel. Let's do it. And on a whim, they all made their way but not one word came out of his or his companion's mouth to disrupt. It was like a spell came over them. And as he, that is Robert Robinson, began to listen to the gospel through George Whitfield, he came under heavy conviction by the Holy Spirit of God. He walked away there and it kept rolling through his mind. Do you know how long it was before he finally gave his life to Christ? Three years. From the time he was 17 to 20, he kept living that life, the life that he thought was the life that was going to bring him fulfillment. Well, at the age of 20, he finally yielded his life to God. He gave Jesus control. The Holy Spirit came to indwell him. Almost instantly, he himself became a preacher. Three years later, He became a pastor of a church. And then he also began to write hymns. He had this latent ability to do rhymes and put them to music. Come thou fount of every blessing is one of those hymns which he wrote. The years passed as he pastored. And as it happens to many of us, we backslide. I don't know the nature of his backsliding. It could have been related to alcohol abuse or sexual abuse. I don't know what it was. But what I do know is he was in a bad place and he was contemplating suicide even. He got on a public coach. This would be a, 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 a like a wagon or maybe one that's covered and like a stagecoach kind of. And he got in that Vehicle, after paying the fare, and he sat down, and it was only he and one other person in that coach. And the one in it was a young lady, and she was humming the tune to his song, Come Thou Found of Every Blessing. Then she began to sing the song. She sang all three stanzas of it. And that was tormenting to him, I'm sure. And she was so happy in the Lord. She didn't know who he was at all. And she said to him, what do you think about this song? And after he struggled for a few moments to get his words together, he said to her, and I'm quoting him now, I'm the poor unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds if I had them to enjoy the feelings I had then. He was a man who was living on his feelings primarily. He's a man who had taught the importance of God's Word and yielding to the will of God, but he had strayed away from the Lord. And listen to what this sweet young lady said. She said, Sir, the streams of mercy are still flowing. She quoted a line in that great song. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And in that hymn, there is this line. The streams of mercies are still flowing. And at that moment, he came out of a downward trend into blackness, darkness, all the things that had plagued him for these years prior to coming to Christ and then for the period of backsliding after he came to Christ and he got right with the Lord. Would you bow your head this morning? Are you in a backslidden condition today? Would you say, Mike, I am not where God wants me to be? Well... Today could be the day of great turnaround in your life. You you are not here by accident today. And Holy Spirit has spoken to you today. And you can just say to Him with all sincerity, Holy Spirit, help me to walk by Your power going forward. I confess to You, Holy Spirit, That I have followed my own selfish desires rather than your leadership. Please forgive me. Please take over my heart. Holy Spirit, fill me and never let me go back to a life of backsliding again. Thank you, Lord that this is a prayer that you desire of all of us. And we pray for those who have prayed this prayer today that they would not keep it to themselves, but they would share it with a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ or a pastor or a teacher. Lord, bless them and help them to get your encouragement from your word and give them the hope that you promised us that we read about earlier today that you give us your hope, Holy Spirit, and it overflows in joy and peace. In Jesus' name I ask this. Amen.